Well, this morning we're in Colossians again as we study and think through this text. We are covering what it means to live heartily as unto the Lord. Our purpose statement as a church is this, equipping people to pursue Christ passionately to impact the culture. And as you think about what the church does and means, maybe we should think about it in a more protracted statement by saying this, we're equipping people to pursue Christ passionately so they will not be captivated and overwhelmed by the culture so that they can impact the culture around them. Equipping to pursue so they won't be overwhelmed and captivated so that they can truly impact those around them. And we do that by being in fellowship with one another as we study and learn and know the Word of God. We must be continuously molded by Scripture. There's a statement in your worship guide from an old confession of faith from 1689, and it says this in part, by this faith, Christians believe to be true everything revealed in the Word, recognizing it as the authority of God Himself, They also perceive that the Word of God is more excellent than every other writing and everything else in the world because it displays the glory of God in His attributes, the excellence of Christ in His nature and offices, and the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit in His activities and operations. So they are enabled to entrust their souls to the truth believed. They are able to entrust their souls to the truth believed. So we must be continually molded by the Word of God, changed by it. It must dwell among us richly. In Colossians 3.16, Paul is talking about how to live the Christian faith, and he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Entrust your souls continually to the truth believed. I was thinking about that and I was reading Psalm 135 recently and just was thankful for the goodness of the Lord. The first four verses talk about the goodness of God. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for He is good. Sing to His name, for it is pleasant. One translation says, sing anthems to His beautiful name. Do you ever stop and say, no, the name of the Lord is, is beautiful. It is glorious. It is pleasing. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself and Israel as his own possession. And then he talks about God working in the created order. And then he talks about God working in the history of his redeemed people. And then he celebrates the eternal nature of God. And then he comes to this statement about the the, the idols of the nations. Listen to this. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. I think that's a law that is undeniable, that we become like that which we worship. 
And, and so we, we need to continually be captivated and molded by Scripture so that we will not fall prey to idol worship that will mark our lives. So we come to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, not for men. This is written to, to slaves, the low people on the economic, social totem pole. And he says, you have dignity. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. The word heartily means work with every fiber of your being. It means to work from the depth of your soul. It means let this be the life-giving principle. It means to live with zest and joy and hope as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, live with joy and hope and abandon and purpose as unto the Lord and not to man. Because ultimately you're serving the Lord Christ. And I step back from this and I say, how in the world can you live this way? How in the world can you live, live heartily as under the Lord? And I think the text answers it. My thesis this morning is this. Heavenly-minded people live heartily as under the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Set your hearts on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll appear with him in glory. Set your hearts and your minds to the things above. For you died experientially to the old things, and you're living as unto Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. There was a hymn produced by the Reformation written by a guy named Martin Luther. It's entitled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It is the uh, primary hymn of the Reformation. And the last stanza says this. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Let goods and kindred go. And, and many of the People of the Reformation had to do that. They were killed for their faith. They let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. In other words, there's an eternal dimension to life. There is an eternal glorious gospel. There is the hope of heaven. So hardly living people do so because they have the hope of heaven according to Colossians 3. Now, just some things that prohibit that or hinder that. Number one, we forget. We just forget. October the 16th, 1555. October the 16th, 1555, Oxford, England. Two men named Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, preachers of the gospel, imprisoned by Queen Mary, better known as Bloody Mary, which isn't a very Nice adjective in England, Bloody Mary. Uh, they were in prison because they preached the gospel of grace. They were told, don't preach the gospel of grace. 
They said, we cannot not preach the gospel of grace. And so she condemned them to be burned at the stake in Oxford. And so uh, they were tied back to back at the stake. And as they lit the wood, Hugh Latimer turned to his younger friend, Nicholas Ridley, and he said, play the man, Master Ridley. And so by the grace of God, we will light such a candle for the gospel that will never be extinguished in this great country. And they died. They died. The fire was so hot, it burned or singed some of the doors at a courtyard, and those doors are still hanging in Oxford, England. I was reading an article recently by a man who studied at Oxford. He said he would bike to and from his school and his classes, and he said that he would go by the monument to Ridley and Latimer, and people would throw frisbees there, and he'd lunch around the monument, and, but they had no clue about the bravery of these men who gave their life for the gospel. And I say to ourselves, to us, that we have a tendency to just forget. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about remembering the things of the Lord. And he says this, he says, verse 12, Therefore I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter says, I I want to stir you up. I want to cause you to remember. And I say, church, we need to read the Bible and read church history, and we need to remember that there have been people who have gone before us, and they have lived valiantly, and they have had the hope of heaven. Because they had the hope of heaven, they lived heartily. A second reason that we don't live heartily is that, is that we're, at times we're part of a re-education process. Let me forget, say that, that, that there is n- not a strong historical understanding of what's happened. Example, in Czechoslovakia, or the Czech Republic now, there is a, inter- a national day of holiday called Jan Hus Day, or John Hus Day. It's on July the 6th every year. John Huss Day, all the banks are closed, all the schools are closed, all the businesses are closed. It's a national holiday. You get to have a good time. It just so happened a few years ago, my wife and I, we'd been to Poland to speak at a missions conference, and so we had the chance to go to the Czech Republic. I'm in Prague for a few days, and July the 6th, I'm in this beautiful square in a gorgeous city. Prague is a beautiful city, and there's a huge statue to John Hus, who died in 14 and 15 at the age of 46. And I knew a little bit of church history, so I talked to some young people there. Anybody in in Europe that's under the age of 30 speaks better English than I do. So it's really easy to travel in Europe. And so I'm asking these young people, I said, um, ask seven, six or seven, who is Jan Hus? We don't know. Today's his Celebration Day, we don't know. One of them said, well, we think, I think he was a, a very important in our his, person in our history. But no one knew. So I went on the web recently to look up Jan Hus Day 2018, and the, the official byline said this, that uh, this is uh, July the 6th is Jan Hus Day. On, on, on this day in 14 and 15, Jan Hus 
passed away. And I thought, boom. Listen, Jan Hus, today's 45, didn't pass away. He was burned at the stake because he believed that popes and councils can err, and only the Word of God was true, ultimately, because he loved the gospel. He was burned at the stake. He didn't pass away. He wasn't in a retirement village or playing golf and have a heart attack. He was burned at the stake. So, so let us not forget. In fact, in a chilling statement, John Hoos was being tied to the stake. And he goes, the, the, Hoos means goose in the Czech language. And the executioner said, now we will cook the goose. And Jan Hus said, yes, you will. But after me, an eagle will rise within 100 years, and you will not silence his voice. I get chills from telling the story because 102 years later, Martin Luther started the Reformation under the authority of Scripture that taught salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Jesus Christ alone, the gospel. Jan Hus, this is, he didn't pass away. He died. And so I, I want to remember these things. As I thought about this, I just wrote this, that, 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 that safe, peaceful, non-threatening, politically calculated, politically correct people breeds dull, non-energetic people that don't live heartily because we're only concerned with our hobbies or our teams or remodeling or our pets or our whatever. And every Sunday... Every Sunday for believers and non-believers is, is, is a call to join the Great Commission movement. See, safe, non-energetic, politically correct, politically calculated people, breeds dull, uncaring people. The Bible says join the Great Commission. You see, there are people in our world in 2018 who are being persecuted and put to death for their faith. I'm trying to learn more about geographically and population-wise Northern Africa and the Middle East. So the last few nights I've got this little atlas and I, before I go to bed I'll, I'll lay in bed and I'll, I'll look at the countries and kind of pray for them and think about it. So I, I'm, I'm thinking of Northern Africa and, I'm, and over here is, um, is Morocco and then, and then next to Morocco is... Uh, Algeria, and then you've got small Tunisia, and you've got Libya, and then you've got Egypt right here, and you've got Sudan down here, and then you go up and you've got Syria and, and, and Jordan and Iraq and Iran over to the Far East. And I think about this, this group of people, and I know pastors there, and I know that many of them have had their churches burned. I know there are many people who are being imprisoned and put to death simply because they love the gospel. And I say, God, forgive me for playing it safe and being non-energetic and being politically correct and politically calculated instead of living heartily as under the Lord. And I say to myself, I want to join the Great Commission movement. This week, I mean, there, there are battles. Right now, there are battles going on around you. Some of you are saying, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure I'm ready to jump into that pool. And some people have sinned that's prohibiting them from really seeing the glory of Christ. 
And some people are, are not believers here. And you're resisting the gospel. There are battles going on right now. There are battles going on in homes between husband and wife and children and, and parents. I mean, they're, 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 we live in a battle-strong area. This week I was with someone that I really love and I've been praying for. And so I had the chance to be with him and we were talking. And I said, I, I, I said, I got to ask you once again. I've asked him before. <clears throat> asking the, the question we were taught to ask years ago when evangelism explosion. If you were to die today and you were to stand before the living God and he would say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And he said, can you say it again? I said, sure. If you were to die today and stand before the living God and he would say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? He said, well, for 20 years, I coached soccer. And I loved my kids. And I brought them places and bought them soccer cleats when they could. And I said, that's commendable. I said, God loves the fact that we do good works because we're made in his image. I said, is there anything else? He said, well... I've tried hard. I said, well, let me, let, me, let me just tell you. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible said that his, that his free gift is by faith alone through the work of what Christ did on the cross as our substitute. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. He says, that. He said, well, I, I believe in Jesus too. And I thought, oh. See, the only answer to that question is that Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I started praying for him afresh. Listen, join the Great Commission movement. I need to. Another reason is that we can become lethargic regarding our personal responsibility. Just become lethargic regarding our personal responsibility. There's a famous passage in 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 10, it says this, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I lay the foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. He says, here's the grace of God, the work of Jesus. Now, people build on that. He says, be very, very careful. Take care. Be very, very watchful. Be very, very diligent in how you build upon it. And then he gives this illustration. He says, some people build on it using wood, hay, and straw. And on the great day of judgment, they will escape as if through the flames. Other people, gold, silver, costly stones. And on the day of judgment, their house will stand. And they'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, the, the truth is that all of us are building with a combination of everything. But I, I pray that by God's grace that we are more and more pressed into gold, silver, and costly stones by living a life of obedience and stewardship and, and, and wholeness and hearty, being heartily as unto the Lord. Be very careful how you build on this foundation. You are responsible to live a life of obedience, to represent Christ with joy. It's an amazing passage. And then, and then Revelation 14, verse 13 says this. He says, 
right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. That's a chilling statement. That I am to live in a way that's honoring unto the Lord. That I am going to give an account for the way I've lived my life. And I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I, I, I want to be a great commissioned Christian. And I want to do the right thing. I want to care for people. Or Matthew 25. It's a chilling passage to me. Christ says to the ones that are going into heaven, he says, come in, in, into your inheritance. He said, for I was... I was without clothes, and you clothed me. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was a prisoner, and you visited me. I was sick, and you cared for me. And Jesus says, people look at him and say, Lord, when did we see you without clothes? When did we see you without food? Or you in prison of all places? Or are you broken physically? When, when? And Christ says, I will tell them very plainly, verse 40, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. And that's a, I go, well, how many times do I walk by somebody who's just, when I touch broken, hurting people, I mystically touch the reality of Christ. It's, it's wild. And so, so I, I need to understand my responsibility. That will awaken in me a heartily focused living because I've got heaven in view. And I understand the coming judgment. Another reason we don't live heartily is we forget the glory of heaven. I, I sometimes read about non-believers who are what we would call naturalists. They believe that everything around us is beautiful and there may have been an undefinable God who somehow made it, but he's not involved in creation and, and there's nothing to live for. There's nothing really to die for. When you, when you die, you just cease to exist. And yet some of these people care and love and give and are involved in foundations and fight for those who are not receiving justice. And I stand back amazed going, that, that's amazing. To, that's just amazing to me. That, that how these people don't live only for themselves. I mean, many of them do. I think about a book that I had to read in, I think, high school or college by a wonderful writer named Albert Camus. Albert Camus was a French Algerian. He was one of the leading existentialists after the Second World War. In 1947, he wrote a book called The Plague. Many of you have read it. It's the story of a city in France that has doctors and administrators and, 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 and the bubonic plague comes to that city and many, many people die. And the book is in the unfolding of how people took care of the bubonic plague and how they nursed people who were able to overcome the plague and how they buried many people who were killed by the bubonic plague. And, and at the end of the book, you, 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 you have walked with these doctors and these administrators, but at the end of the book, there's just this sense of, well, was it really worth it? 
was it really worth all the effort to save people? And one book reviewer said very well, so the characters are, quote, undramatic, stubborn, and hopeless, close quote. If there's nothing to live for and nothing to die for, then why be heroic? Why extend yourself? And I thought about some well-known statements. Taoism is an outgrowth of Buddhism. It's a Far East religion, the yin and the yang. And uh, really it's, you know, Buddhism says, Four Noble Truths, life is suffering. The reason there is suffering is there is desire. To get rid of suffering, you must get rid of desire. And to get rid of desire, you follow the Eightfold Noble Path. That, that's very simple. And Taoism says, quote, the journey is the reward, close quote. Let me tell you something. The journey stinks sometimes, doesn't it? Cancer stinks. Traffic accidents are horrible. Wars where women are traded in sexual trafficking is horrendous. The triumph of evil people seemingly is upsetting. So if, if, if my ultimate hope is the journey is the reward, man, I am punching out today. I'm done. Or there is a, a quote by Robert Louis Stevenson that I think has been misappropriated, but other people have used it. It says, to travel with hope is better than to arrive. Okay, to, to travel with hope is better to arrive. That's not a very good T-shirt seller. You go downtown and you sell T-shirts, to travel with hope is better than to arrive. And I said, well, what does that mean? Really? I don't think so. And then Camus, the man I just referred to earlier, said this. We need to embrace the wine of the absurd and the bread of indifference, which will nourish man's greatness. Close quote. There's something called the theater of the absurd that came after the Second World War, and it was just... The whole, all the plays were about the nothingness of man. In fact, one play had, had, had two people playing tennis. They had tennis rackets, and they went out there, and they would play tennis with an imaginary ball. That was a play. Probably got an A, you know, in that class, but, but you just played with an imaginary ball. You just hit it, you know, just, that's the way, that's the best way for me to play tennis, by the way, to have an imaginary ball. It's absurd. And, and, and Camus, brilliant, died in a car crash, when he was about 47, outside of Paris, he said this, the wine of the absurd and the bread of indifference will nourish man's greatness. I do not think so. To say to people life is absurd and everything should be indifferent does not feed any great aspirations in my mind. But if you say to me the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, whatever you eat or do, do all to the glory of God, that nourishes my soul. To, to understand that there is an eternity and there is a glory that awaits, nourishes my soul. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. It's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. He says this, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and, and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken. This all happened in Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. No more. For they could not endure the order that was given. We said, quote, if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. 
Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You have come to glory. You have come to hope and peace because of the cross, because of the hope of heaven. C.S. Lewis says it so well in this little book, The Last Battle. It's the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there's some children who are transported from England to this magical kingdom that's ruled by a great lion named Aslan. And they would go back and forth, and they'd be there a few years, and they'd go back to England, and be in England for a few years, and go back to Narnia as they were needed. And, and so this is the last book, the last two pages. Just read three paragraphs. The youngest, a girl named Lucy, uh, Aslan turned to her and said, you do not yet look so happy as I mean for you to be. The last time they'd be transported, they were on a train and they were taken out of the train. Lucy said, well, Aslan, we're so afraid of being sent away back to England. And you sent us back into our own world so often. And Aslan said, dear, no fear of that. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped and a wild hope arose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your mother, your father, and all of you are, as we used to say in the Shadowlands, dead. Dead. Then he says this. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write about them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's the hope of heaven. I've been reading quotes from John Newton. This is a letter, just four sentences. John Newton wrote this at the bottom of a theological letter he wrote to a friend. This is so good. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said this. Let me commend you and yours to the grace and care of our Lord Jesus Christ. They that dwell under the shadow of his wings shall be safe. His service is perfect freedom, and his favor is life. May his name be precious to your heart, and may you have such increasing knowledge of his person, 
character and offices, that beholding his glory in the gospel glass, you may be more changed into his image, drink into his spirit, and be more conformable to him. The highest desire I can form for myself or my children or my grandchildren. Father's Day, I would say. And my friends, is that he may live in us and we may live to him and for him and shine as lights in a dark world. To view him by faith as a living, dying, rising, reigning, interceding, interceding and governing for us will furnish us with such views, prospects, and motives and encouragements that we need to finish strong. So, so, so heavenly-minded people live heartily. Heavenly-minded people join the Great Commission movement. Heavenly-minded people deal with stuff. There are people here today whose their vision of Christ, their understanding of Christ is clouded by unconfessed and unforsaken sin. Whatever it is. Unforgiveness, uh, complacency, a, a, a lack of desire to serve and, and walk in humility with your family, pornography, runaway anger. I mean, I, see, Great Commission movement-minded, heavenly-driven people deal with these things. So should we. So, so, so must we. So, so the question is, every Sunday, what's the next step? See, every Sunday is a, an invitation to be someone who's going hard for Christ. The next step. May God give us grace.